Hebrews 12.1 says we are surrounded by witnesses and that we should cast off sin and obstacles that keep us from God. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is Cross Training. Building your faith to not only carry the cross of Christ, but to get up when you fall and run toward the finish line. Faith-filled business leaders and individuals share their testimony to inspire your journey. Now here's your host for Cross Training, David Anderson. Today we have a very special guest, David Tasso, a young man who is in the real estate business here in New Orleans, has an agency, a brokerage, and I know his family. We all went to Dallas Al together, and his parents, I believe, uh, run the Adoration Chapel at Holy Name. They're very involved. My, my brother Keith actually uh, has taken over that, and he runs it. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. uh, so a family that's very, very connected to their faith, and we get a chance to look at the product of parents who have raised their child in the faith all of his life. I mean, they've yeah. never... Uh, steered away uh, a lot of us have fallen going in other directions i can't imagine the tasus uh, not just staying you know true catholic the whole, their whole life very good parents who directed us in the right direction and it's kind of funny we're both davids and we're talking about how uh, when some people call you dave uh, do you correct them and say david uh, or uh, just let it go I have to let it go because I've never corrected someone when they called me Dave and then they were not slightly offended that I corrected them in any way. Well, I I've, I've go by Dave, David, but I introduced myself as David. It's the name my parents gave me. Yes. Uh, so we are on Catholic Community Media and Mr. Tasso uh, and his partner run Ferret Realty. Um, yep. And he's going to be telling us about, uh, interested to hear some of where you think real estate's going to in the city and office space versus residential uh, and the commercial space and everything, because uh, we're in total flux um, of where we're going. And I don't think a lot of people know where it's going to come out. Well, I can't predict that, but uh, I can tell you, I, I focus on residential real estate. And New Orleans is very lucky in the sense that it's a small market. We always think of ourselves as a larger market, but compared to the much larger markets than New York, Chicago, San Francisco, we're much smaller. And people are looking for that. People are looking to uh, move to a smaller market. So the people I've seen moving here are coming from uh, California, uh, Chicago, up north. Some of them are making it a second home. They have enough money. They, they're buying a second home here, not just a condo, but a, a house. And they want to be part of the community. And they, they're snowbirds. They'll come here during the winter and enjoy New Orleans, what New Orleans has to offer. Um, other people are just buying second homes. So they'll come visit whenever. Uh, and then we have a lot of people who can live and work from anywhere. New Orleans has a lot to offer, as I said, and, and they appreciate that. Unfortunately, with all those groups that are moving here, no tax dollars come with them. No companies are moving here. It's all individuals. And it's not a stable market. All those people, if... Unfortunately, I hate to say this, but, you know, one carjacking, one, one assault can pick up and move. And um, New Orleans does need to get the crime under control to uh, let the residents feel more comfortable moving here. And we look at it, as you said, uh, you know, we think we're a big market. We're a small market. We're fortunate to have two professional teams, the uh, NBA right. and the yeah. Saints. gives us a big city feel. But um, then we always give a shout out to Miss Gail Benson for keeping those oh, teams course, here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you feel like you live in a big city when you go down in the middle of the week and you're going to the arena for a basketball game. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Well, if you look around at uh, cities our size, we have the most to offer. Like you said, two professional uh, sports teams, music, food, all, all the things that come along with New Orleans. And, and when you say music, we go from the symphony right. to uh, the fellow we had earlier, you know, a rock rock and roll. Street performance. To jazz. Yeah. Uh, to every every from the most progressive rap, Little Wayne. Right, I mean, right. We, we really do have the gamut of, of music, not just We absolutely do. Jazz. And, and uh, food. Uh, over the last 15, 20 years, you've seen more innovation, different types of food. It's not just your French Creole, you know. Uh, a lot of Asian foods have moved here, different restaurants. Faux has really taken off. And then you're seeing different neighborhoods take off. Uh, 
Yeah, Harrison Avenue. You go down Harrison right. Avenue today, and it is chock full of any kind of food you really want. Yeah, yeah. So New Orleans has a lot to offer for the size. And it's everyone gets into their, their mode of uh, you really don't go 15 minutes out of your from your house to any restaurant. Right. It's right. a big deal for us to go meet someone on Harrison <laughs> Avenue. You know, why can't we just go to Vincent's right there on St. Charles? Or, right. You know. Stay in your own neighborhood. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. And yeah. I think most neighborhoods do that. My friends in Lakeview, Lakefront, they don't want sure. to come uptown to go to dinner. They've got great selections right out by them. Well, I, I had a friend move to uh, Bywater from uptown, and uh, some of my uptown friends were choking around. Uh, that's the last we'll see of her. Yeah, <laughs> you almost she need a passport. Fifteen minutes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we do. We we're a town that stays uh, very colloquial. Absolutely. Um, and I, I did a walk Sunday. I, a couple of Sundays back, we did the. Uh, the walk, uh, the Jesuits did it, and the stations of the crosswalk. Oh, sure. And I did that walk, and it was really great. We must have gone seven miles. Uh, the other day, the other Sunday, I did it on my own, and it was really fun to go do it just by yourself. It made that yeah. walk so much easier because you're just going. I went from Holy Name to uh, I went to the chapel, uh, the Poor Clares. Oh, yeah. And then to St. Francis. Yeah. And then to St. Henry. And Saint C- so each each leg was not really it's, long. It's not. It's and a, before you know them, you know, walked five miles. Yeah. <laughs> it was really great. I'm going to try to do that on my Sunday mornings. We were also talking about earlier about Mardi Gras. You can walk from uptown to the French Quarter and not even realize it. But during a regular day, if somebody says, hey, you want to walk to the French Quarter? No. What are you kidding me? I'm not walking. When I did the, uh, we, we were rode in the same parade together, Crédita, uh, David and I. The first year we did the. Dancing Darlings, big the dictator's part, part of it. And yeah. uh, I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make this walk. <laughs> and uh, and they had shirts on that had midriffs. And I said, I'm not wearing a shirt with my midriff. So I wore my black T-shirt under my, uh, my midriff shirt. But we were finished before I even realized that I was tired. Right. And what right. was that, six or seven miles? You feel it the next day. Yeah. But not, not at not, the time. You're enjoying yourself. The crowd yeah. cheers you along, and, and it's so exciting. You're Mick Jagger for, right. for a couple <laughs> hours. So right. You understand how he can get out there at 82 years old or whatever he is and perform. Yeah. The crowd really invigorates you and uh, gets you going. Well, um, as we were saying earlier, your family has been a part of Holy Name for a long time. Sure. Went to Holy Name Grammar School. Um, Most of my, my brothers did. And you were telling me a little about, uh, in preparing for the show, we're talking about you know, when you, some down part of your life when something happened to you that you had to go deep into your faith to get through. Well, you know, it, it, it happened to me. It was a time when um, I had just sold the business. And I was fortunate enough, I didn't have to go into another job right away, but I still had an office and uh, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And like I said, I was fortunate enough to have that time. And uh, one day, I I remember hearing the Pope, somebody famous died, and the the Pope said, well, you know, just think about all the people who are unknown that pass away and they have nobody to pray for them, take care of them or think about them or pray for the repose of their soul. And I thought about that and thought about the homeless. And of course, you know, like we were talking about, I live uptown, work downtown. You drive past a lot of panhandlers on the, on the way to work. Uh, and uh, I used to prepare a little bag full of snacks and just say, I'll, I'll give it to people. And some people, they were panhandlers. They just wanted money. They weren't homeless. They didn't care. Uh, some people were, were appreciative. Um, one day I made it almost all the way to my office and I realized I, I must have been on the phone. I forgot to give it away. And there's somebody right by my office and I gave him the food and he was just so appreciative his name was David also nice. another David uh, and he was so appreciative I said well you know if you really appreciate it I'll, I have to come here tomorrow I assume you're not going anywhere I'll, I'll give you you know something to eat tomorrow too and this went on for a long time and uh, I almost after, develop a relationship with that person we did I did now it's always through the car window mm-hmm. you know here it is here it is and that means a lot to that person just to have someone even catch their name and repeat their name to them you know to have uh interaction with other people other than the people he was living with and right. and they would live in the park during the day and they'd sleep under the bridge at night 
And uh, my office is right there at the, however you want to say, the beginning of Britannia, uh, St. Margaret Park. I think that's the park right mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he and I did develop this relationship. And we kept talking. And finally, one day, probably after several months of, of just bringing him something to eat. And there were a couple of times where I forgot to pack the bag and I even went through a, a drive through line because he kind of depended on, on this. Uh, so I was committed to it. Uh, that's when I realized I'm committed to doing this. And, and so finally, one day, I just drove past him and got out the car, went and parked, and I walked back. And I said, what's, what's going on, man? What's your, what's your story? Do why you, are you here? Yeah, why are you here? Are you, you're drunk half the time I see you. Are you drunk because you live under the bridge, or do you live under the bridge because you're a drunk? And uh, he, he just said, no, I used to have a job, and, and long story short, Katrina threw him through a loop, and his house was flooded, and his house, he lost... His dad lost the family house, uh, didn't pay the taxes on it, and the whole family was homeless. Uh, now, he was, he's an adult at this point. He's not a child. And uh, he lost his job. He, he worked on cars. And he went up north to his... He has a sister who lived up there. He lived with her. And, you know, he did have a drinking problem. And she had had enough of him. And so she, she said, you know, you have to find somewhere else to live. He, he got enough money, he moved back to New Orleans, and that's when he found out his dad lost the house and he had nowhere to go. So he, he just went under the bridge. I said, well, if I can get you a job, do you want it? Do you want to work nine to five? You know, what do you want? He said, yeah, yeah, I want to work nine to five. I said, okay. So I, I looked around, and, and like I said at the time, I, I, was, uh, I, have, I have investment property. I happen to have an apartment open, and I said, look, if I get you a job, I'll let you live here. But you lose the job, you lose the apartment. You know, you have to keep your job. And uh, I, he, he, I was lucky enough, I did find him a job. And he, he was, you know, employee of the month. As a mechanic? No, no. Uh, he worked over, uh, this was kind of close to Mardi Gras, so he worked for a bead company. And he was helping them package beads and uh, prepare all the crews, you know, the, the throws for the crews. And he worked there, and then Mardi Gras ended, and I... You know, I said, are y'all going to be able to keep him on? They said, you know, it's a, he's doing his job. We'll, we'll, we'll keep him. And uh, then, unfortunately, the, the weather got better. You know, Mardi Gras was a cold year that year. And he, uh, he was still drinking a lot. He was still drinking, but he'd show up at work. Then he started slipping. He started oh, Come on, we're all rooting for Dan. Yeah, I come know, on, I know. Well, unfortunately, that's the way these stories go. Uh, he started slipping. He stopped showing up at work. He showed up at work a couple times and had been drinking and and then of course one time i'm driving to work i see him sitting in the park and so i had a talk with him i said look i i I can't you can't keep doing this to the employer i I know uh, your employer i'm gonna tell him you're you're done and you're done with the apartment You're, you're you're back out here and i was upset i was really upset with him for that and he knew it. He knew he had, you know, all of a sudden now the, the nice weather in New Orleans is gone. You know, it only took a couple of weeks for that to happen. And he's out in the heat. And he knew he, he kind of blew it. Uh, so I had told him, I said, I think you have a drinking problem. You know, that's the problem. You, you can't function. You're a functioning alcoholic, but you obviously can't function anymore. So if you want my help, uh, you're going to have to go to a rehab. And so he thought about that. He he fought me on it, and this is all going on over over weeks and months, you know. And and he's out of the apartment. He's out of the apartment. He's back on the corner, and and something told me to stick with him. Stick with him. Uh, I still said, look, oh, you know, you blew it. Uh, you had an opportunity, and you blew it. Uh, but I'll I'll keep bringing you something to eat. And uh, he would him and haw and ask me for money. I said, no, I'm not giving you anything. You know, I gave you enough, and and you blew it. Go panhandle if you need money. But I will give you something to eat. And I gave him something to eat. And then he, he decided to go into rehab. And through some, some contacts that I have, I was able to get him into a detox center. He didn't last long there, you know. Uh, he lasted a few days, and, and he kind of fought and got kicked out. So he's back on the street. I at least appreciated the effort. You know that he was doing that but i said he, he got kicked out because he really didn't want to quit drinking and uh, you know a few more weeks months went by and he said look i want to try again he went to another detox center and, he, and did you help him arrange that as well i arranged that as well 
and uh, it was free. It is free. Now he right. had Medicaid. Okay. Medicaid. He had Medicaid. He had been working. He got on a program. Uh, he he he's not on a program. He he was on Medicaid, and he so they took him. Uh, he went to another rehab uh, detox center, and when he finished the detox center, I was out of town, and they just gave him. You know, it was kind of he fell through the cracks. I kind of kind of see how these things happen. They just gave him cab fare and sent him on his way. Didn't send him to a rehab center. Didn't help him with the next step. He didn't know what the next step was. Back to the park. Back in the park. You know, Monday morning, sure enough, I get back in town, and he's in the park. Uh, so, you know, that was frustrating. I said, why didn't you go to rehab? He said, I don't know. I don't know the process. And uh, so he's drinking again, you know. Mm. He finally detoxed. He's sober. He's clean enough to go to rehab, but nowhere to go, so he's drinking again. So I, I finally had a talk with him one day about uh, – Hey, you know, you, you probably just think you're going to drink yourself to death and, and die. And that's probably what your, your, your end game is. But there's a lot in between. You could have a stroke, you know, a heart attack. You could be partially paralyzed. You could become disabled. And I don't have the means to take care of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take you in. You're going to be in one of these state-funded facilities. You're going to wish you were back in the park. Uh, as bad as it is out here, you're going to wish you were here. I think that resonated with him. And, um, and then one day I, uh, I went out there and, uh, you know, this would happen. Sometimes I'd bring him lunch and he wasn't there. Um, but after a few days, he wasn't there. And I said, where is he? And somebody said he, he checked himself in over at the mission. He's trying to get sober. And he did it on his own. And uh, The mission's pretty hardcore. I, I taught a GED tough. class <laughs> for two semesters. They don't detox you. No, you. It's uh, tough. It's tough. It's so, a rigid schedule. Yeah, to get you to a better place. Uh, it is very rigid. And coming from the streets, where you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, to that rigid schedule, he didn't last too long there. But he did it on his own, and then so uh, he ended up a couple weeks later back on the street. And that's just the way it goes with with people who are trying to break addiction. Uh, rarely does it work on the first try. And then several weeks later, maybe a couple months later, somebody from uh, Traveler's Aid came by and said, do you want to go to rehab? Uh, we can get you into a, we can get you into a, a actually a detox center. And uh, he said, yeah, I want to do it. So I was bringing him food one day and he said, hey, I just want to let you know I committed to going to a, a detox center. We're going to do it the right way. And, and I said, okay, well, look, why don't you spend tonight in um, at the mission you know get off the street tonight quit tonight and we went over to the mission he, he wasn't completely on board with it we went over the mission we talked to the president I think he's another David yes and uh, but he gave him a hard talk he gave him a real hard talk he said you either quit right now or, or don't waste anybody's time you know spend the night here he's awesome by the way he yeah. did he's phenomenal he really gave him the talk that I didn't know how to give him and he gave him the talk and said, spend the night here and decide to quit now or just go back out on the street and, and let us know when you're ready. Well, he spent the night. And in this talk, it, it got pretty tense. And I told uh, David, who, who was homeless, David, I said, if you go into rehab, if you do this, I'll commit to go to mass every day for you. Oh, my. Every day and pray for you that that. You find the strength to, to get sober. I don't know if it meant much to him, but he, he did ask me. He said, you, you'll do that? And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And he hey, committed. That's beautiful. He committed. He went into, uh, he spent the night at the mission. I picked him up the next morning, brought him to detox. He spent, the, spent about a week in detox. I was able to get him into a rehab facility after that. And, uh, and it took. And it took. And he... he he stayed sober. That's yeah. a that's persistence on not only his part but your part. How long was it? This is probably years? about a two year process. Wow. Yeah, two year process. Like I said, I was I was fortunate, and, and you know God's plan is always interesting the way it works. Uh, I had the time. So David, you were telling us about the other David, <laughs> uh, not the David who runs the mission. No, uh, the David who David Mandel. Us. David yeah. Mandel. His name is David Mandel. And uh, 
I was telling you that he had just committed into going to rehab after, you know, several decades of drinking. And um, he, rehab was taking. It, it was working on him, uh, for him. It was working for him. And, you know, he, for a while, for probably the first month, you don't have any outside contact. So as soon as he was allowed to have outside contact, he called me. And he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still here. Uh, and we, we stayed in contact every now and then he could leave and I'd take him to get something to eat. That's what I did for him. And one day I just saw him and I was looking at him and I said, what? why now? Why are you doing this? You know, why, you could have quit so many other times. What's, what's, he, he couldn't explain it. He just said, it's time. It's time to quit. And... Uh, he quit drinking and he was he continued the program he graduated from the program uh the program helped him find a job he was a dishwasher at metairie country club and he moved into a sober house and again he just meanwhile the whole time i, I stayed true to what i said i would do the whole time he was in rehab i went to mass for him every day and prayed for him to to find the strength to overcome alcoholism and uh, which fortunately I don't have, but I've seen people where that grip of alcoholism is like a boa constrictor on someone. It is, and, and he had decades of it. You know, I think he he even told me he didn't finish high school because he he just left and he would start drinking during the day, and he'd rather uh, find a job rather than finish high school. And uh, where was he from? <clears throat> He's from New Orleans. Oh, from yeah, New Orleans. from New Orleans. Grew up on Sonyet, uh behind Newman. Uh, Multi generational family and w under one roof. And uh, he uh, he graduated from rehab, got a job, and he reconnected with his father. He found his father. I helped him track down his dad. And unfortunately, his dad was sick. And uh, still he, in New Orleans. Still in New Orleans. And uh, he, he was able to reconnect with his father. And then his father um, went to hospice and then uh, passed away. And luckily, uh, he got to reconnect with his dad before his dad died. In a sober state. Yeah. Sober. His dad saw him. And oh, that had to make his dad's death so peaceful for himself. You know, he... To, to go even further, he organized. He, he didn't know how to do it, but he asked me to help him. How, how do I, how do we do this? And I know Father Herb over at Monte Della Rosa. Yes. Father Herb said, I'll give you the church. We can do a funeral. Uh, he didn't know if his dad had a burial plot or not. He couldn't figure it out. But uh, my parents actually stepped up and said, we'll pay for him to be cremated. Uh and Dave said, well, I'll pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. And my parents said, it's not necessary, but if you want to, you know, you're welcome to. And uh, he paid them back. He paid them back. And, of course, they ended up, you know, they turned around and bought something for him. But uh, he was able to do that for his father. And I could tell he had some siblings, um, half siblings and, and full siblings, who really saw him do this and took you know, pride that he, was, he turned his life around. And he was doing this. Uh, it, it was really a moment for him that I could tell he was uh, very proud of, that he was able to do that. I'm proud of him just listening <laughs> yeah. to it. Uh, I'm proud uh, of you as well. Well, he, he did that. And then... Because uh, if there's no David Tasso in this man's life, he's probably passed away by then from well, alcoholism. Uh, then that's where the story changes, but it's, it's sad. But uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And again, I was able to get him into uh, Oshner, and they took care of him. They they were doing chemo and radiation, and he had some side effects from it. And um, and then his sister, who he had lived with after Katrina uh, up north, came down to see him, and she said, "You know, I really think it's best that you come back with me. Let me take care of you." And um, and I was okay with that. I thought it was nice. You know, it's my, not my job is done, but, you know, this is what I was supposed to do, get him to this point. Uh, unfortunately, he had a, a 
side effect. I think he had a, a aneurysm, bled out, and died months later when he was with his sister. But he died with his sister, surrounded by family, uh, people he loved, who loved him, instead of under the bridge. You make me cry. Uh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Well, it's uh, you know, like I said, it's not the story you wanted. I'd, I'd rather uh, he no, it's he was beautiful. successful and uh, kept working and was alive. But uh, that's the story um, that happened. That's what happened. That's, and you know, it took a little while to realize the moral of the story is he he was surrounded by loved ones when he passed away. Well, he was surrounded by love from you. I mean, that was the impetus for him getting. I mean, he had something inside that kept his persistence going back, going back. But you provided that that handrail for him to get a hand to take a step up. Well, you know, and, and again, when I walked away with it was uh, there, there are a lot of people on the streets. Some people are hiding from the law. Some people want to be on the street. They don't want to be found. But there are some people out there who, who want the help. They just want the respect. They want... Uh, some companionship. I'll never forget one day Dave called me when he was sober. He called me on Thanksgiving. Of course, I'm with family. I guess phone call. I kind of ducked out of the room to take his call. I said, hey, what's up? He said, oh, nothing. Just, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Wanted to see how you're doing. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. How, how are you doing? I'm still kind of wondering, like, what does he need? What does he want? And uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm over here. I'm just celebrating Thanksgiving at the house and wanted to see how you were doing. The sober house? He was at a sober house, yeah. Uh, actually, I take it back. This is before uh, he had moved in the sober house and before he got sober com for, for good. This is when he was uh, living in the apartment. And uh, the, the whole process helped me understand, first of all, how much it costs to get somebody from the street to a house to a job and the, the emotional process for somebody going through it. He... He was living in the apartment, but he didn't have any friends. He didn't have anybody oh, the to talk to. We yeah, talk loneliness. about that often on the show, about the loneliness of people. Yeah, and mm -hmm. he was just reaching out because he, he needed someone to talk to. Of course, this was kind of early on, and I didn't really see it as a friendship. I saw it as a, what do you need? I'm just kind of doing what I'm supposed to do, and you know, I'm kind of stretched thin here on time, but what's going on? And that's what kind of opened my eyes uh, to some of these people just looking for, for uh, someone to talk to, friendship, uh, and they find it on the street. They find it with other people there. And their only reason they're there is because that's where they found it. Uh, to fast forward to today, uh, I, again, I, I credit a lot of my success to uh, the goodwill that I did for, for David Mendel, uh, God blessing me. And I was able to buy a, a couple of buildings, and I work with these programs that house the homeless. And they have to have a caseworker. They have to have somebody who I can talk to to help get them the help they need. Uh, if they're an addict, they need to go to some type of rehab or rehabilitation. And Dave had a good friend, Leon, that was always on the street with him. And a couple of times Dave asked, hey, can we, can we go bring Leon something to eat? Can we bring Leon to go get something to eat? And I would, and Leon was, was drinking too, and he used drugs. Um, all of a sudden, usually when a caseworker calls me and says, do you have an apartment available? I interview the tenant. Yeah, for sure. You know, I want to know who's moving in here and, and kind of give them the rules and say, hey, you, you don't bring trouble back here. You know, you're, you're trying to get away from it. And so is everybody in this building. And uh, this one time I wasn't able to do it. It's kind of busy. But I knew the caseworker. And I said, look, I trust you. You're, you're going to give me a tenant that, that fits the parameters of who I'm looking for. So about a week later, I'm over at the building. And uh, I knocked on the door so I can introduce myself to the tenant. And it's Leon. Wow. It stays friendly up on that. Hold yeah. up on that. Yeah. We've got to take a station of identification <laughs> uh, stop. Uh, again, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training. We're at the beautiful Uptown Studios of Loyola Media with Albert DuPont Jr. at the Switches and Jeff Blackwell back in the Baton Rouge headquarters uh, that make us all sound good. But we are talking to David Tasso of Ferret Realty, one of the great supporters of 
Catholic community media. And we at this point, we generally talk about a little food, which we're going to just mention real quickly, that we have some great food from Robert's, one of our new sponsors, uh, Robert's Groceries. Uh, just one of the best groceries in town. I love to go there. Just Delicious cat food. They have... Um, Catfish. Uh, <laughs> they have uh, they have a crawfish dressing that someone on every other Friday night at Holy Name we do movie night. And, oh yeah, and we have dinner and we have contemplative prayer before it's a wonderful evening. This I, Friday, I think it. I'm in adoration across the hall when y'all are doing that. Oh, sometimes that's all right. We that's watch right. the shows and then we get a little loud and yeah. fun. No, I, I I go from five to six, so I think y'all are just about to start yeah, up when I'm leaving. Yes, yeah. and. Uh, and someone brings crawfish dressing from Robance. It is one of the best dressings, and I'm a dressing aficionado. I have my own oyster roasted pecan cornbread dressing that I made up, and uh, so I love dressing. And um, they make one of the best I've ever had. I've never had this crawfish dressing anywhere else uh, besides Robance. So. I'll have to try it. I, I know yes. they have a great breakfast uh, buffet in the morning, still they have, on the they, weekends. They, they really do. enjoy well, it. That's what we have in, in today, the uh, sausage biscuits, the grits, and yeah. the catfish. Uh, it's delicious. So it's not many places in the world that you have catfish with your breakfast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a good piece of white uh, bunny bread and some yeah. catfish, uh, chocolate milk, and a Ubix pie. That's a good, That's a good meal. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Uh, most places would laugh at us for eating such food, but... Uh, <laughs> And I really don't eat a catfish on bunny bread anymore. But there was a time when uh, I would look forward to yeah. such a delicacy. So you're telling us about, uh, <laughs> we're about to, uh, uh, ha- I hope, have Leon C. Well, Simon. And that's a Leon C. Simon, but Leon. It's right by the <laughs> S-E-E, Simon yeah. uh, Peter. Yeah. Uh, that's my attempt at humor for the day. Leon, I right. hope he sees Simon. So, well, he, uh, as I was telling you, I let one of my caseworkers move somebody in the house without one of the apartments without meeting the tenant. Mm-hmm. So a couple of days go by, I'm able to go over to the house and knock on the door. And there's Leon. Can't believe it. Leon's still drinking and using drugs at this point. And I said, Leon, you probably don't remember me, but uh, I helped your friend Dave. I was friends with your friend Dave. He goes, oh, yeah, Dave, Dave. And um, so I kind of took this on as, well, this is my next, you know, uh, goal, task, however you want to look at this. Somebody somebody else God's given me to look after. And... uh, so I'd check in with Leon every now and then, and I'd say, you know, said, Leon, uh, this is about maybe about a year and a half ago, something like that. And uh, I said, Leon, you know, Dave quit drinking. He really lived a good life. And uh, Leon kept saying, yeah, yeah, I know. And I talked to Leon when he was on the streets and friends with Dave. And Leon just said, no, I don't want to, I don't, I'm fine here. I'm, I'm good where I am. Well, something happened. He got involved with a, a program, Easter Seal. And they're the ones that moved them into the, uh, the my apartment. So every now and then, I'd, I'd go to the apartment, talk to Leon. And unfortunately, I saw him more on the corner panhandling than anything. And uh, I'd say, Leon, really need to get you off the street, man. This isn't any kind of life for you. You're, you're drinking out here all day and you're panhandling. I know that's not the kind of person you are or that you want to be. And so he said, no, it's not. It's not. And he's a tenant at this time. Now he's a tenant. Yeah, he's a tenant. And so that's what I'm saying. A lot of these panhandlers. How much do they take in a day? Uh, I'd have to ask them. I, it's been a long time since I talked to them about that. But a lot 10, of these. dollars They could take in more than that some days, yeah. Uh, and, and he had a place to live. He just wanted some alcohol money and mm-hmm. people give him food. He'll eat it, you know. Uh, really just needs something to do all day. And it's his social interaction for, That's the, exactly for the day right. as well. That's exactly right. So, and it's what he knew. It's what he'd been doing for, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, something like that. So, uh, he, the apartment he was living in was an efficiency. And he, um, he liked living there. But I, I got his caseworker involved and I said, look, we really, I really want to help Leon. I know that's your goal also. 
So I started talking to Leon a little more regularly and saying, you know, do you want to quit drinking? Do you want to quit drugs? And he, he eventually said, yeah, I do. I do. I said, okay, well, look, I have another building I can move you into. It's a one bedroom. It's a larger place. You've kind of shown you, you deserve it. Uh, so I moved him into the one bedroom and, um, and then fast forward to yesterday, uh, after, again, after m- m- many, many conversations, uh, he's going to go into detox. He's going to go into detox tomorrow. And um, we'll see where it goes. But he, uh, he said he's ready. And he his name to, is? His name is Leon. Leon what? Uh, well, I'd rather not give out his last name okay. just because, okay. you know, well, I don't know. Just if you, but he is. Uh, if you're listening and you have your prayers, put Leon. Please pray for Leon uh, because he does work with a, a Baptist priest, a minister. Uh, and I called him yesterday and I said, look, I, I didn't realize you had been working with Leon. He said, I've been working with him for several years. And a lot of people know Leon. He's, he's a really good guy. Who is that preacher? Uh, Jacob. I just know his first name. And he, uh, he said, everybody knows Leon. Leon's a good guy. And Leon is a good guy. He just uh, he doesn't have any friends. So the people oh, he, my. Back to the loneliness. Yeah. And so the people he hangs around with are the people he knows from under the bridge and panhandling. And, you know, a lot of those people use drugs. And now that Leon has a house, they don't. They don't care about him. They'll, they'll come over and cause all sorts of trouble, and they have. And I've had to talk to Leon about it. I've had to say, you keep inviting these kind of people over here, you'll be back under the bridge with them. And uh, he don't want to have them over, but uh, he's lonely. He doesn't know anybody. He, th- those are the only people he knows. And on the other side of that, if you took a look at Leon, you probably wouldn't have much to do with him either. Right. Um, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't walk up and want to have a conversation with him. So, uh, he he's hopefully going into detox tomorrow. Does he have any sort of mental diagnoses? No, he doesn't. Not that I know of. Uh, usually, when you deal with somebody like this, well, he he's told me he said he he likes to drink, but if he's around people using drugs, he'll use drugs. He'll smoke crack. He'll whatever, oh my, whatever's around. You know, he he he'll he'll use it and. He's told me, uh, you know, no fentanyl's in these drugs, and he doesn't, he, at the time, he didn't care. And, um, you know, it's just, it was just yesterday, I, I specifically told him, I said, I'm coming over and I want to talk to you. Um, <clears throat> we either need to figure out what we're doing, you know. And he, he, he sat on the front steps and he told me, he said, it's time, I'm ready. If, if you set it up, I'll go. And when are you going to start to, your discernment to be a deacon? <laughs> uh, I think I was. It's a great, great road to go down. I just don't know if that passed for me. Uh, but I, I do I'm enjoy working. Are you? Yeah, and I've been discerning for years. Uh, he, uh, I, I think I, you know, God has led me to the path of working with the homeless, and He's blessed me to be able to have uh, housing to house them. That's a two-way street. I'm not trying to be right. a saint here. I get paid to house them. Well, it's, but, you uh, can't do it for free. Right. Uh, I, the, the nonprofits do pay me, but I tell all the nonprofits, this isn't going to be, you know, if you think you're just going to dump this person on me and walk away and warehouse the poor, uh, don't, don't come to me. Uh, if you come to me, we're going to work, and we're going to work to improve this person's life. And that's kind of my knock. We were talking a little bit earlier about some of these government programs. They're all designed to do great things. But uh, oftentimes somebody who's homeless uh, is just warehoused. And they're put in a house and uh, that's it. All, the, all you did was take them off the street. You really didn't improve their quality of life. You're not helping them much. The and, effort was there and the people are trying. They're just uh, so overwhelmed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine if you're in that business of uh, the social work, you also get burned out. You see a lot you more do. failure than success. Well, you know, you I've, get I've, jaded I've worked with a lot of young ones who are optimistic. And I, I had to tell a caseworker before, you, you know, he's, he's using drugs. He's, he's telling you what you want to hear. But I, I can tell, have been, have, 
had been around it enough to know uh, these are all the symptoms of using. And uh, he's lying to you. You know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll give the tenant the benefit but of you the know. doubt. But I know what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's great to see young social workers. They, they, they're energetic. They had, they're optimistic. It's great. Uh, some of the older ones are just, yeah, like you said, burned Life out. Got them down. Yeah, burned out and just uh, move on, you know. And um, it, it does take uh, some addicts, seven, you know, it can take seven times to try to quit till it actually takes. And um, do they know, obviously David knew, does Leon know your faith and that how you approach this, that you Catholic faith? He does. He does. And, and he's told me some things before. He said, you know, um, he knows I'm one of the people really looking out for him and has his best interest in mind. He, he can see that it, it's been years, you know. And, um, and I told him, I said, look, this wasn't a coincidence. Mm. Uh, that you were brought to brought to me, and as he sobered up, uh, he has quit drink. He has stopped using drugs, uh, and he does think clearer. He's brought up things to me I didn't think he remembered. He said, "I remember when you took me and Dave to St. Charles Tavern for breakfast one morning," and I said, "You remember that?" He said, "Yeah, I remember." Said uh, he had a girlfriend uh, that was using drugs, and she OD'd. Mm. Uh, she didn't die, but but. Uh, they took her to the hospital, and uh, I talked to him about her one time, and he remembered that. And uh, so he's, uh, it was, I was kind of surprised he remembered all those things because I thought he was just in a drunken drug haze and he was going to forget it. But uh, he does know my faith, and he has faith in God. Uh, he does have faith. He prays with his preacher uh, once a week, and um, Jacob has stayed with him for about three years now also because he is a good person. He does have faith and he wants to uh, try to become a better person. I don't know what's holding him back. I have a feeling he has some personal issues from his past that uh, some trauma, some trauma that he can't he can't get past and he doesn't feel worthy. And um, we'll see what happens. That's a denominator shared by a lot of us. Yeah. Who feels worthy? Right. Well, especially when so many people drive by you and uh, the only place you can find friendship is, you know, under a bridge. Um, that that tends to be the way a lot of people go. They, they lose a lot of self-respect and confidence in themselves. And uh, I saw with Dave, his confidence come back and his self-respect, the more he, he worked at getting sober, uh, he was able to put on a funeral and bury his dad he was able to rekindle uh a relationship with his dad before his dad died he he had siblings reaching out to him and saying really proud of you really proud of what you're doing (sighs) and um that built self-confidence you know unfortunately uh you know we're talking about homelessness but homelessness and addiction sometimes go hand in hand and uh people who have an addiction you know you, you try to help you try to help and then you say you throw up your hands and say I'm done with you, you know, and uh, a person can't change their life until they're ready to do it. Tell me about your prayer life. So, obviously, through David Mendel, I started going to mass every day, even on Saturdays. That's when you started going to mass every day. I would go to mass every day for uh, during Lent. Yeah, right. you know, I would do it for Lent. I I'd try to go to a daily mass. But Saturdays were not included in that daily. Uh, this time, I, I even went on Saturdays, and uh, it just so happens, I'll even uh, throw this in there. While he was in rehab, uh, and that the rehab that took, that I said I'd go to Mass for him every day, Mardi Gras was involved. So I had to get up early and go to Mass Mardi Gras day uh, before I went out to the parades. And... Uh, so while well, I, I was home making a bloody mary batch I, I, you were 30 minutes later i was doing that but <laughs> but i did get up to go and uh so that you know when you help somebody it's always a two-way street uh if you if you were looking for it and uh so i 
started going to daily mass with David. He was Catholic, and so he started going to mass. I said, "Look, you you need it. Father Herb helped you. You know, but he did the funeral for your dad. Uh, he'd like to see you in church more often." And he would he would go to Sunday mass occasionally, and uh, that's he, at Mata Della Rosa that in was Carrollton, a, yeah, which was, is a beautiful church. You feel like you're in the old country in that right. church. Yeah, and uh, and then my office is across the street from St. Teresa's on uh, Camp Street. And so, or Coliseum. Coliseum. My station's at the cross went there. And right. It was and, interesting. Uh, I read yeah. the history of each church. Right. Uh, and uh, so I, I, actually what came out of that was for a long time, I continued to go to daily mass. And um, my faith has grown and... Uh, you know, I will say on a personal le- level, uh, my my faith has grown uh, a lot. And watching, you know, the Dave transform from uh, not caring, wanting to drink, not no interest in quitting, to all of a sudden, you know, it sounds like I'm telling you a story in, you know, a few minutes that took several years. But watching him, and I'll, I'll never forget, we were at Bud's Boiler on Carol. Calhoun and I just kind of asked him I said why why are you doing this why why now and he said no it's just time I'm, I'm ready and you know he was in his mid mid to late 40s so he'd been drinking for about 40 years uh, not 40 about 30 years and uh, that was that was a that was a eye-opening moment for me the God's power to uh, come into a person and give them the will and desire to change their life. David, I got to tell you, that's one of the most beautiful stories I have ever heard in my whole life. And uh, I have to say something about your parents that instilled these values in you that you would take that challenge on, not think twice about it, uh, congratulations to your parents. They must be so proud of you. I'm very, very uh, lucky to have the parents I have. You are. You are, because I bet if those folks that you've helped had parents like yours, they would be the ones helping others. Uh, it's a big difference. Well, there's there's more to come. We'll see what happens with Leon. Uh, I'd love to come back. I can't wait hopefully for Leon to see you. Simon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my, I'll stick with my yeah. bad joke uh, for the whole thing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's incredible that it was that you didn't meet the tenant, right? Right, and, and it, it happens to be Leon, Dave's good friend from under the bridge, and uh, yeah, that's not uh, accidental. That is not accidental, and again, that's another moment for me. I just kind of said, oh, "Okay, uh, not what I asked for, but here we go again. Uh, let's see where this goes." And a little bit wiser this time. Uh, you can't make somebody make a change in their life they're not ready to make. So I just kind of sat back and waited for Leon to say he's ready, but always gave him the opportunity. Uh, I think, uh, you know, some things did happen when he was renting from me, when he moved out of the efficiency into the one bedroom. Uh, most landlords would have kicked him out. You know, he he was looking for friendship, and he would invite some of the people from... Uh, Showing off his, um, his newfound yeah, affluent life. And and kind of being used by the people under the bridge. You know, now now we have a place to stay and uh, who cares if Leon you, loses it? Doesn't right. affect them at all. And he had to understand those things. And it's tough when people who uh, you think are your friends, uh, you find out they don't care about you. And... He said several times to me, he goes, but those are my friends. Mm-hmm. Those are my friends. I said, those are your friends because you're drinking and you're, and you're using drugs. If you stop drinking and using drugs, you're going to find out how many friends you have that are a positive influence on you and not a negative influence. Again, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training um, on Catholic Community Media. Uh, if you ever have a chance and want to go to Catholic Community Media's website and make a generous donation uh, to spread the word. That's what the station's all about. That's why I'm here. And that's why uh, this incredible, incredible man, David Tasso, his whole family has this 
if you ever meet a Tasso, uh, which you're hearing of, from David, you can really feel his vibe. His whole family has this vibe. Uh, I know his brother Mike uh, pretty well. I've uh, been friends for a long time, and every one of them has this kind of inner soul that comes out in a very positive way. And, oh, thank uh, you. They have a very rich, beautiful family. Uh, your uncle, the orthodontist. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you had asked earlier about the Adoration Chapel. It was my Aunt Mary Alice McKay, uh, who helped start the chapel. And she, uh, several people, a lot of people have been very instrumental in keeping that chapel open. Uh, Is she related to Judge McKay? Uh, on her husband's side, yeah, Donald's side, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don- uncle Don. Uh, and um, I'll be Don. We're small. He, uh, he and I are very close. Okay, uh, yeah. He's been one of my patrons through 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so she was very involved with the Adoration Chapel. And uh, I know she got me involved by just saying, well, just go visit and see what you think. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, uh, the, I, I do have to say, if, if some people, you, you have a hard time sometimes finding a quiet moment to uh, or or longer to to reflect and pray. And I'm lucky enough, I get to go to Man Reese every year. And that's a whole weekend of being able to reflect and, and pray. Uh, there are adoration chapels all over. I'm, uh, obviously, I'm connected with the one at Holy Name Uptown. And it's a quiet place. You can go in. You can sit as long as you want. You can kneel. You can pray. You can uh, reflect on your day. It's a great place to go um, and pray and, and reflect. Absolutely. Uh, we uh, want to thank you for joining us. It's thank you been, for having uh, me. A quick hour, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Uh, and uh, like I said, I hope to come back and give you an update on Leon. We can't wait done. to hear. Yeah. Uh, this could be a whole uh, <laughs> Netflix uh, series, on, series with on Leon up Leon, to. Yeah. yeah. And we could uh, cast back and look at Dave's progress along the way. And I wish I would have come on sooner. And anybody driving down Claiborne, Leon used to sit on the corner of Claiborne and uh, either jackson or uh felicity panhandling and i knew if i couldn't find him at the house that's where he was if i would have come on sooner anybody could have driven by and say hey lynn i'm praying for you yeah you're right you know and support him we end our show with saying the hail mary and we ask everybody listening to join in if you would lead us david hail mary full of grace lord is with thee Blessed art thou among women, blessed is fruit of thou in Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Cross Training with David Anderson is a production of Catholic Community Media.